God is not looking for milk toast men and women who are living as mere spectators in the sport they call Christianity. But God is searching for champions in his family to rise up courageous and victorious on the field of following after Jesus. The difference between those two is what? So often we can be lured into the idea that all that matters is that we show up, sit, soak, and move on. We can be lured into the idea that showing up on a Sunday morning in this room or in a small group, life group, is sufficient as a follower of Jesus, but that's just being a spectator. God is looking for men and women to have this all-in, radical, fanatical following of Jesus. I like the Apostle Paul. I've been crucified with Christ. I've been killed with Jesus. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He's looking for men and women to take up the call as a follower of Jesus, a disciple. When Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself every single day, pick up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life, he's going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for the sake of me and this gospel that person's going to be saved, delivered, victorious. God's not raising this church up to fill the seats with a bunch of spectators who sit and soak in all the things that they enjoy and complain about the things they don't like. God never designed this family of faith to be that. But he's calling us to get up and get busy in serving Jesus, of being active on the field of duty, to be faithful in following after the one who has given us life itself. Every person here wants to live victoriously. Every person here wants to have that hashtag blessed kind of life. All of us do. I want it. You want it. That's okay. That's the, that's the way we were built. That's the DNA of our being. We want to be blessed, but in order to be blessed, we've got to do life the way God is designed. And the way God is designed is for us first and foremost to be part of his family through faith in Jesus Christ. And then to follow Jesus every single day in serving him. 
So God's not looking for any more milk-toast men and women who are content to live as spectators in the stands. And God's raising up men and women to live victoriously in service to Jesus. A researcher several years ago uh, studied 120 elite athletes, artists, uh, trying to decide, deci- discern what it was that led these, um, these men and women to be elite in their field. And after studying and researching and examining and writing a big Ph.D. kind of paper, as all Ph.D. papers, it can be summarized in a simple sentence. But it takes 40 or 50 pages or longer uh, to say the simple sentence. But here's what, it, here's what it comes down to. To become elite in your field demands an extraordinary amount of discipline to practice daily and urgently. If you're going to be an elite athlete, you have to have the discipline to practice, to exert yourself in, a, um, in an ongoing effort to be better at your game. And there's one uh, little meme on social media, I think it gets right, uh, 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 there's a difference between an athlete that practices hard not to get it wrong. A professional athlete, an elite athlete, practices so hard that they can't help but get it right. Everything they do is moving toward victory. And they practice and they give themselves every day to get that way. I want you to know as followers of Jesus, we need to put in our reps. As followers of Jesus, we need to put in our discipline. As followers of Jesus, we want hashtag blessed and we want victory, but we aren't going through the discipline that Scripture teaches us is essential. We've talked about one of those disciplines to uh, worship God. From Mark chapter 12, uh, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, worshiping God is, is an uh, essential ingredient. We've got, to, we, we've got to go through the discipline of that um, uh, purpose and practice in order to be victorious. As Jesus is on his way to the cross, and, and now in Mark chapter 14, we're just hours away from him being arrested and, uh, uh, and crucified and then raised from the dead. But in Mark chapter 14, we see Jesus on this journey to the cross where through his death, he gives victory over sin and death. But on his road to victory, we learn lessons on uh, how we must live as followers of Jesus in order to be victorious. What is the discipline that we can learn today, today in Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11? I want us to see the discipline of serving Jesus. There is a temptation. We all get it, all of us. I get it, you get it. Even though I have to speak publicly every week, um, I I can be just as 
susceptible to the idea of being a spectator rather than be serving Jesus. A spectator of everything else that is going on. I I can fall prey to that. But my prayer for you and for me today is that God by his Holy Spirit will take his word and shape our heart so that we see the power and the significance and And the lifestyle we must have of serving Jesus. You have this wonderful, wonderful follower of Jesus in Mark chapter 14. And she takes the lead. What a wonderful picture of spiritual and biblical leadership that this woman displays. She stands up. And does what other followers of Christ should have done. And all these men sitting around enjoying their little table fellowship. And it takes this wonderful woman who is a follower of Jesus to teach them what it means to serve Jesus. I just want you to hear Mark 14. Begin verse 1. After two days it was the... Passover, the feast of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and scribes sought how they might take Jesus by trickery and put him to death. And they said, let's not do it during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany at the uh, house of Simon the leper, as Jesus sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. And she broke the flask and poured it on his head. Let me stop here for a second. Uh, I believe, along with many others, that this is the same story that we find in John chapter 12. Some of y'all were in John chapter 12 today in your life groups. Um, I didn't know that until one of our life group leaders came up to me after the 9 o'clock service and says, did you know that we're studying, uh, many of us are studying John chapter 12 verses 1 through 11, which is this story? And I said, no, I had no idea. But uh, I, I believe it's the same story. Uh, I believe that this woman who is anonymous in Mark's gospel is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus in, Lazarus in John chapter 12. I also believe that she's anonymous in Mark chapter 14 because when this gospel was written, it's the earliest of the gospels in my opinion, it was written uh, before 70 AD, probably before 60 AD, uh, around 58 to 60 AD. And during that time, it was written to believers in Rome. And during that time, as believers in Rome, they are being persecuted uh, for being followers of Jesus. So uh, when Mark wrote this gospel, she kept the name of the woman anonymous because she was probably still alive. And as someone who was still alive, she could get a, you know, put a bullseye on her head uh, because of her encounter with Jesus. And so he kept her anonymous. By the time John wrote his account in John chapter 12, John's gospel was written around 90 AD. So 30 years later, uh, persecution's already gone. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus probably already in heaven with Jesus. So he felt it was okay to include her name. Now that's all guesswork. Nobody knows that to be true or false, but it's a good idea. I like it, right? Uh, So that's why she's anonymous in Mark chapter 14. So they're at the house of Simon the leper, and, uh, and they're all reclining at the table. And this woman comes in. She breaks uh, uh, the alabaster jar and pours perfume on the head of Jesus. Verse 4, there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant, fragrant oil wasted? 
for it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. By the way, that verb criticized sharply, that is a verb that is used to describe horses neighing when they're mad. The snorting of horses. And it was incessant snorting of horses. Take that as you will. Verse 6, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. You always have the poor with you. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. And surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, that uh, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Let's stop right there. Um, here's, here's the discipline. Big idea, big discipline that you and I need to uh, embrace. See, none of us as followers of Jesus, we don't want to be milquetoast men and women who are merely spectators in the stands, looking onward and complaining about things we don't. None of us want to. If you're a follower of Jesus brought into God's family, you have the DNA of, of Christ in you. You want, you want to be uh, active and a participant in following Jesus. And so as such, you want to serve Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you want to serve Jesus. That's what you want to do. You want to serve him. Okay? Why? Because we express love to Jesus when we serve him. We express love for Jesus when we serve him. Here's, here's a simple truth. I don't think anybody disagree. When we love someone, we show it. Not just say it. When we love someone, we're going to show it. When we love Jesus, we express our love for him by serving him. So the question isn't, should I serve Jesus? That's like asking if you should, um, as, a, as a mom or a dad, take care of your children. Of course you should. As a follower of Jesus, yes, you must serve Jesus. Why? Because you want to express love to Jesus. Remember Mark, uh, Mark chapter 12. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Therefore you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. If we love Jesus, we're going to show it by how we live, by what we do, by how we serve him. This woman, uh, this woman was in a room of men who were talking about their love for Jesus. And she taught them how to show it. You and I, we need to learn this lesson. Now we come in here and we sing our songs of love. Jesus, I love you. I adore you. You're awesome. You're great. You're fantastic. And Jesus says, that's great. Now show it. A spectator shows up and says, well, I'm just going to say the words. I don't have to live the life. 
But a follower of Jesus says, I can say the words and then back it up with a lifestyle of serving Jesus. This woman, man, what a woman. She knew that she was going to get beat up. She knew that she was going to get hit. She knew that she was going to get criticized. But she couldn't help but show Jesus how much she loved him. She could have written him a letter. Jesus, I love you so much. Thank you for changing my life. She could have said the words there reclining at the table as she served him potatoes. Thank you, Jesus, for changing my life. I love you so much. But that wasn't sufficient. The words weren't enough. Because when you love someone, you got to show it. And the way she showed it was she served Jesus extravagantly. And we need to do the same. If we're going to express our love for Jesus, we need to serve Jesus extravagantly. There is no doubt that what this woman did was extravagant, beyond extravagant. Here's, here's the scenario. Uh, this woman had a dowry. That was uh, her retirement account, essentially. And she took her retirement account, which in this context was one year's wage. And it was bound up in a bottle of perfume worth an annual salary. And she took that perfume and she broke it. She didn't just pop the top and pour a little out and put the cork back in. She broke the jar so that she could serve Jesus before his death. Before we go any further, let's, let's just think about the extravagance of this. Most of you have been working on your taxes, your income tax. Most of you have a pretty good idea what your annual income is. Not adjusted gross, but your annual income. You take your annual income, whatever that dollar amount is, whether it's two pennies like the woman uh, in Mark 12 who gave all she had, or whether it it is uh, uh, a significant sum of tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. Whatever your annual income is, what would it take for you to use that income to serve Jesus? Take all of it. Not not a penny, not not a portion, not a tenth, not a twentieth, not even half, but a hundred percent. What would it take for you to use an annual income? Or think of it, empty your retirement account. Take your retirement account, empty it out, and use it to serve Jesus. This woman was extravagant. She held nothing back. She gave all just to bless and honor Jesus. 
You might say, what a waste. The men there, there did. They, they were shamed by her extravagance. And don't you know, they were trying to find an excuse for themselves. They said, uh, I mean, it's not like they were taking an annual income and using it to feed the poor. But they certainly said to this woman, I can't believe that she just done this thing, that she has used an, uh, all her retirement to just pour out perfume on Jesus. She could have used it to feed the poor. That was just their own shame talking. Now, we, we can excuse ourselves from being extravagant, but that's not the model that we have. And it's certainly not the message that the Spirit of God applies today. The Spirit of God applies this one simple message. You and I must have a heart, do have a heart, to serve Jesus extravagantly. To be all in. So, what does that look like in our lives? What, what does it look like for us to serve Jesus extravagantly? We do what we can with what we have. We do what we can with what we have. I just want you to, I want you to hear what Jesus said to the woman, about, uh, to the men, about the women, about the woman. She, he, verse 6, he says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? Now, get this. She has done a good work for me. Just stop there. That's, that's what it means to serve Jesus. To do a good work for him. For him. To do a good work for him, for his honor, for his fame. So many of us, especially spectators in the church, when we do serve, we expect recognition. We expect people to applaud us, to say, oh, you're doing such a good job. Now, I'm not... I'm not dismissing the idea that we all need to be encouraged. But if you are serving so that people will give you a plaque or applause, you're not serving Jesus, you're serving self. And there's a difference. When we look at this passage, this woman was content to be anonymous, to receive criticism simply to honor Jesus, simply to do the good for him. She didn't need a platform. She didn't need a microphone. She didn't need a plaque. She didn't need applause. Her focus wasn't on what anybody else had to say about it. Her focus was singular. I just want Jesus to be honored. Today, friends, listen. If we're going to serve Jesus, we're going to serve without the desire for anybody to give us a plaque for it. We're going to serve Jesus in such a way that the goal of honoring him is the only goal in our mind or on our heart. We're going to give ourselves, all ourselves, to exalt him, to honor him, to bless him. And yet so many times we come here as spectators with our hands cupped like this and all we have to say is, Jesus bless me, Jesus bless me, Jesus bless me. And he does and he has and I'm thankful for that. But my soul, don't you see, as a follower of Jesus, it's not just having our hands cupped like this asking Jesus to bless us. It's us as followers of Jesus looking intentionally and purposefully for ways where we can bless him, where we can serve him 
She has done the good work for me. Are, are you focused on doing the good work for Jesus? But he goes on. Look at verse 6. He says, uh, verse 7, he says, uh, For you have the poor with you always. Whenever you wish, you may do good to them. But me, you don't have always. She has done what she could, verse 8. She has done what she could. In the original language, in the, in, in the Greek, it says, What she had, she did. What she had, she did. I love that. It's, it's whatever I've got. If I have, if I have a heart to sing... I sing my song in serving Jesus. If I have a mind for business, I leverage my business to serve Jesus. If I have hands to work, then I leverage these hands to work for Jesus. If I have time to spend, I spend my time to serve Jesus. I love that the goal is not the amount. The goal is the heart. Jesus says, hey, you serve me when you do for me whatever you can with whatever you've got. But so many of us, we want to give Jesus scraps if we have a little bit of leftover. Then I'll serve Jesus. Can you imagine what kind of relationship that builds? Well, you can if you're married. You certainly can. In marriage, if I just give my spouse the scraps of me, the stuff I don't really want to use, if I just give, give Edie just this little piece that, that I'm not going to use it anyway, so I might as well throw it her way. If that's how I'm treating my wife, make, make no mistake that I'm not communicating love. I'm communicating an insult. And yet that's how we're treating Jesus, so many of us. We're giving him our leftovers at best. We're not trying to serve him extravagantly. We're just trying to serve him enough so, that it doesn't, so our conscience is not seared by our own shame. See, when you love someone, you're going to show it. How are you showing Jesus that you love him? Are we doing what we can with what we have? In a minute, only one application today. My prayer has been and continues to be that God would shape your heart today through his word, so that his Holy Spirit would apply his word to your heart and open your eyes to see how that you can serve Jesus, how that you can do what you can with what you have to bless him, to honor him, to serve him. I'm just going to give you one application, but my prayer is that there's a whole load that comes your way. That you at least, look, that you would at least ask yourself the question, Am I really trying to serve Jesus extravagantly? Am am I I really trying to serve him at all? 
again, this isn't, this isn't some revolutionary kind of mentality. This is core to what the Scripture talks about, that we are to serve. It's never a waste. It's never a waste to serve Jesus extravagantly, to do what you can with what you have. It's never a waste. Imagine Jesus after this dinner in Bethany. Next week we're going to look at the Last Supper that he has with his disciples. And then we're going to move from there and Jesus is going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to pray and after he finishes praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's going to be arrested by Judas who betrays him. And the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders. As Jesus is praying in the garden, don't you know that the perfume that had been sprayed, uh, poured upon him was mingling with his tears and he could smell the love of this precious woman. And imagine as he's taken off and, uh, uh, and, and, and bound and, and, and standing trial before the Sanhedrin. Don't, don't you know that Caiaphas, the, head, uh, the high priest, don't you know he's like, what's that smell? And Jesus just smiles. As Jesus is gone, taken before Pilate and, and Pilate's washing his hands and saying, I deliver Jesus for his death. Uh, as he's washing his hands, he, he smells this costly perfume, and he's thinking to himself, what is that? As the soldiers take their cat of nine tails, and they rip Christ back to shreds with each rip of his flesh, the, 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 the aroma, the fragrance of that perfume lifts to the air and fills the senses of Jesus as Jesus is taken to a cross and he's nailed to the beam uh, with the nail going in. The, the aroma of, of uh, the woman's uh, extravagant service uh, just fills his senses as he's lifted up and as he's hung to die in between two criminals, the criminal on his left, criminal on his right. Scripture doesn't say it, but don't you know they were thinking it? What is that smell? As Jesus hangs upon that cross and at the end of his earthly life, as he's preparing to breathe his last, the lungs have filled with water, um, uh, uh, and, and, and he's suffocating. That's what the cross does. It suffocates you to death. He can't breathe, so he's got to lift himself up with all his strength for a gasp of oxygen. And as he's lifting himself up for that gasp of oxygen, what is it that fills his lungs? The aroma of Mary's love for him. And as he breathes his last, and he says, it is finished. The service of this precious saint carries him into death. Now, friends, we need to understand that it's never a waste to serve Jesus. Jesus tells the 
people to stop bugging this woman, to stop criticizing her, stop, stop neighing at her like angry horses. He says, leave her alone. She's done the good work. She's, she is, she's done what she could with what she had. And then he finishes it up and he says, and because of her service, every time the gospel is preached, people will remember her. Only when we serve Jesus, we advance the gospel. We celebrate the gospel. When we, when we um, uh, serve Jesus, when we give ourselves to others the way Jesus has given himself for us. See, Mark 10, 45, Jesus knew that he was going to die. And here's what he said. He said, the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. And, 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 and we understand this. We, we understand that, that what this woman did was appropriate. Jesus said it's an appropriate act. Um, her, her, her anointing me with oil was appropriate because Jesus was about to die for sinners. Us serving Jesus is an appropriate act because we are the sinners for whom he died. Jesus died for me. See, I was dead in my sin and trespass. I was lost in darkness. I had no hope. I was separated from God personally, intimately separated from God by my sin. But God in his great grace saw Eric Thomas, a sinner, and he sent Jesus to die in my place upon a cross to to call out from the halls of heaven for me to put my trust in Jesus, to be drawn into the family of God through faith in Christ. And in that moment, I who once was dead have been made alive. I was blind, but now I see I'm changed. The one who has loved me most deserves my loving service. A couple of, a while back, we, uh, we had stopped to get gas at a gas station in uh, 7-Eleven or whatever, and I, I was going in uh, to get a Coke or some nabs. Uh, nabs, um, peanut butter cracker, nabs. Don't know if you call them nabs. Um, came back out, and there at the front of the door, at the storefront, was uh, a man and a woman, and they were obviously asking for money. And as I was walking past, he stopped me. He said, sir, do you have any money? Now, I knew exactly what was in my pocket. And I knew the cash that I had in my pocket. And it was all the big bills. It was my fishing money. And those big bills had been in that pocket for some time because I hadn't been fishing for some time. And my first response to the request, sir, do you have any money, was, no, I don't have any, I don't have any money. But it was the... Spirit of God that kind of stopped me. And I, I said, well, all right. So I took one of my big bills, had a one and a couple of zeros. That's my fishing money. And I took it and I rolled it up and put it back in my pocket, put my wallet back in my pocket, and I walked over to him. And I said, here you go. And he took it and he looked at it 
And he was visibly surprised. And I said, I said, wait a second. I said, I want you to understand what this is. I said, number one, that's my fishing money. I said, I want you to understand what this is. He said, I said, the reason I'm giving you this money is not to serve you. It, it, it certainly helped, but that's not why I'm giving you this money. See, I'm giving you this money because God in his love sent Jesus to die for my sin upon a cross. And that's changed my life. It's changed my heart and it's changed my outlook. And when God tells me, impresses me to give you a $100 bill, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you a $100 bill. Because that's a way that I get to serve him who has given me life. I'm giving you this with the whole weight of Christ dying on a cross for sinners. And me receiving that as my, my life. I'm giving you this because of all that God has done for me. Now I want you to take it. I want you to feel the weight of this money. It's not serving you, it's serving him. Now what you do with it will determine whether you're going to serve you or serve him. I said some other things, but you could tell that this man's whole demeanor changed. I'm not saying it made a difference in his life, but he felt the weight in that moment. He felt the weight of the gospel in that moment. See, you and I, as followers of Christ, we were never designed to be spectators. We were called by God to be participants on the field of following Jesus, serving him, and making much of this good news that has changed our lives. Because when you love someone, you show it. So my challenge to you is real simple. The, the application point that I want to challenge all of us to, to embrace today is simply this. Will you serve Jesus this week by inviting someone to come to church with you next week? And meet Jesus. Now, I want you to hear it. Will you serve Jesus this week by inviting someone to come to church with you next week so that they can meet Jesus? It's a simple, simple application. Let's not be spectators. But let's serve Jesus together. Will you bow your heads with me, please? Father, right now, I thank you that according to your great word, by your will, you have given us an opportunity to show Jesus how much we love him. I pray that all of us who are followers of Christ would step up 
on the field of following Jesus and serve him faithfully. I pray by your spirit you would open our ears and our hearts and our lives to see how to serve Jesus at work, how to serve Jesus at school, how to serve Jesus at home, how to serve Jesus with our friends, how to serve Jesus at our play. Oh God, may we do what we can with what we have. And may we serve Jesus extravagantly. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.